Pete, Corso, and Catone. I think, I think, listen, Mark, listen, hold on. When I say, would you have caffeine today? What the hell is that up Presented by Special Sauce Podcast, Steel 42 Design, and Corso Law Group. Now for the real deal New England feel, Corso and Catone. Welcome into Corso and Catone, the real deal New England feel. I'm Corso. Catone is out. Joe is out. But hey, I'm joined by you on YouTube, Apple Podcast, wherever you podcast, iHeartRadio. And uh, listen, check us out on Twitter and, of course, our heated hotline, 855-313-PATS. Give us a call 24-7. Have a take. Make sure. And uh, we want to pick one, and we want that one to be yours. So 855-313-7287. Listen, I know I'm flying solo today, but, hey, that's okay because we have a lot of good things to talk about in uh, in the show today. We've got a lot happening in New England sports, of course. And in Weekly Rewind, we're going to talk Celtics-Warriors. That series is now tied at two. And we're going to hear from one of you in Heated Hotline out in the nation. And in Real Deal, hey, Bill. Can we call the plays or what? So, listen, I want to get started with Weekly Rewind, and let's do that right now. Going back, back, going back through the week. Call the Weekly Rewind. So, as I said, the Celtics dropped game four last night to the Warriors at home. It was a golden opportunity uh, to go up 3-1 and keep that home court advantage. And then the Warriors would have had to beat them three games in a row. But now, series is tied at two. Golden State gets back home court advantage. Uh, and now it's forcing the Celtics to uh, have to go into Golden State and win a game. And so we're looking at this. In fact, I was talking to Mark last night about this and discussing, you know, what's going wrong with the with this team? You know, why can't they seem to put back-to-back games together with the kind of intensity that you need in order to win a championship. Now they did it against Milwaukee um, game six and seven, but neither team and a lot of this is in, in the NBA playoffs as a whole, haven't really been able to put get back-to-back games together. And and so I don't know if that's a an issue in the league right now or anything else, but the Celtics certainly have not been able to do it. Well, they're going to have to do it um, because to me, you have to win game five. Go, trying to go in there and win game seven, assuming the win in game six at home, trying to go in there and win game seven is that's tough to do on the road, especially in the championship for the, for the title. Um, so that that's really hard to do. So I think the next game on Monday night, game five, that's going to be the, the, the game for them to win. But going back to last night, um, the issues and in game two as well, you know, because they won game one, they won game three and they lost two and four. So, what is happening? What's our reaction to it? And why is this happening? And when you look at the numbers in the game, it doesn't look all that terrible. I mean, you know, they shot 44% from the field. We shot 40%. Um, they're 34% from three point. We were almost 40%. The issue though is Steph Curry. I mean, listen, for everyone who, who said, you know, Curry rode the tails of Durant for a couple of those championships. He wasn't a series MVP at any point. 
Well, at this point, he's proven everybody wrong. Uh, he's showing that he's probably put it this way: if they win this series, he'll go down as probably one of the greatest. Uh, he's already the greatest shooter in, in history, but he may go down as one of the greatest players in history because he's taking this team on the back. Last night, he had forty-three points. Um, he just doesn't miss. He gets any type of any window, any room at all. He's hitting that shot, and it doesn't matter where he is on the court. Some of those were contested. Some of those were tough shots to make, um, but he's going to make them. And then, you know, if it's the idea that, well, if he gets his, we're, you know, we're okay as long as we can shut everybody else down. Well, last night, Wiggins, you know, chipped in with a career high. He had, I think, 18 points, 16 rebounds, and that's what hurt them. You know, hurt them that some other guys got involved a little bit for Golden State and the fact that they, uh, you know, they couldn't figure out how to shut some of those other guys down and Wiggins down, that became a problem. But when you really look at the numbers and you start to think about what the big issues were, you look at the points in the paint, okay? And I'm looking at it here. I mean, 38 points in the paint to 32 for Boston. So when you look at those numbers from last night, you say to yourself, hey, this is not, um, this is not a huge problem when you see the even numbers like that. But when you go back to the games they won, Okay, and the points in the paint. You're talking the last game in game three, the Celtics had 52 points in the paint to 26 for Golden State. That's why. That's how they're beating this team. They're controlling that paint. And last night they didn't do that. They had issues with Wiggins underneath getting rebounds, that Looney was getting some rebounds too. And you know what? Curry, Curry had 10 rebounds last night. That's inexcusable. That cannot happen. And so it's our guys in the paint that were a problem. Hawford didn't have a great game. Williams was pretty good. He had a couple of blocks, but his time on the on the court is limited because of that injury. So when you go from 52 points in the paint to, to 26 to even up, basically, 38 for them, 32 for us, that's going to spell a problem if you're going to allow Curry, Curry to go off for 43 points. So that's a problem. That's an issue. And then, of course, the turnovers. It, it never stops. I mean, now they had 16 turnovers, and again, so didn't Golden State. 16 turnovers, and uh, Celtics had 19 off theirs. They had 17, but you just can't turn the ball over. Because when you turn the ball over against Golden State, everything's a mess. You know, when, they are in, when, a, when a basketball team, and Mark actually said this last night, when a team's in transition off a turnover, it frees up the three-point line. Everybody's trying to get their bearings on defense and who they pick up, and that's when Curry can really, really hurt you in the transition game off turnovers. So you can't have 16. I mean, eight, 10, five to eight, okay. And then you're going to win that game. So all these things that get Curry going, that there's no bigger one than transition points off turnovers. And again, to me, those were the things. And also, offensively, I mean, I don't know if, if, if any of you see the numbers out there, but in that fourth quarter, they were up with about seven minutes, seven and a half minutes left in, in, the, uh, in the game. Boston's up five points. And then they proceed to get outscored after that. They score six points in the last seven minutes. They missed 10 shots. And Golden State uh, uh, was a, a huge disparity, I think, 17, 18 points to six is what the, they are outscored in the last seven minutes, and that's how they lose the game. It was stagnant 
the offense became stagnant in that last seven minutes. They didn't seem to be able to, to generate anything with anybody out there. And what happened was, I don't know, I guess to me, and I said this to Mark last night, to me it looked like they're trying to get the matchup too much. So they're trying to get Tatum on Curry a lot, and I think that they're getting bogged down in their offense trying to get that done, and they're eating up a lot of the clock. They're eating up a lot of the play clock trying to get that done, and next thing you know, they're throwing up shots um, that just aren't good quality looks. And so I think that's a problem for them. And I think at some point they have to run their offense the way they run their offense. But even with that, when they got Tatum in that fourth quarter, when they got Tatum and in the third as well, when they got Tatum on Curry, he then went away from he 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 deferred, he passed off, which was boggled my mind to think to myself, wait a minute, that's the matchup we're trying to get. We're trying to get Curry on Tatum. So now you got to take advantage of that, right? You got to drive the lane. You got to get to the lane. You got to get to the rim. I mean, the size differential between Curry and Tatum is ridiculous. He's 6'8. So get to the rim. That should be a layup every single time. And if they do pull somebody rotate over, there's got to be a kick out somewhere, you know, for him to get to. So I'm not really sure I understood why they didn't, they weren't able to exploit that matchup when they worked so hard to get it. So that didn't make a lot of sense to me. And then, again, Tatum. You know, this is one of these, um, Mark and I, we, we, we sort of go back and forth on this. Mark doesn't. His, his take on this is, look, Tatum just isn't there yet. He hasn't arrived. You know, he's not a top five player yet. He's not a team that's taken a, a, a get a champ. He's not a guy that can take him on their, his back and win a championship and be that alpha player, you know, player that, of course, can take him, score when it needs to be scored. Tell basically everybody on the team, hey, give me the friggin' ball and get out of the way, and I'm taking care of it, like Bird used to do. You know, he got in that huddle and said, no, no, bullshit. I don't care what we're running. Give me the ball, get out of the way, and I'll take care of business. Tatum, he just doesn't seem to be that guy. Mark's convinced of it, and he's convinced that we need another guy next year to be able to get that done, like a Beal. I mean, we know Mark has been banging the drum for, for Beal to get on this team. Um, and I think it'll be easy to do to get them if you can win this thing and, and pull this out. So it's not like they can't win. But in order to do it, Tatum is going to have to have a game where he's the best player on the corner. He's going to have to be a better player than Curry is in one of these last three games for them to pull this off, and preferably two, because he hasn't shown that yet. Now, he did it in, he did it in Milwaukee where – he was in game six in Milwaukee. I think he had four. And Mark said it, too. He said in order for them to win game six, he, he's going to have to have 45 points. Well, he had 46, and they were able to blow him out of the water. That's what it's going to take um, for him to get that done. And, you know, the flip side to that argument, some people say, well, you know what? He has arrived. He is a superstar just because he's, he's his overall game that he's cultivated that overall game. For example, he's had, oh, what was it, 20, 28 assists in three games um, he had. And I think he had 22 in the two wins. So people say, hey, those are double-doubles he's had had in those games. And in game three, he was flirting with a triple-double. Um, and, he and he's averaging almost a triple-double in this series. So when you look at that, you say, well, you know, he's getting the job done, you know, 
I don't know. You can go back and forth on this. You can actually do that because, on the, again, on the one hand, he's not having that game. He's not taking the game over. On the other hand, he is taking it over. It just doesn't look like he is, but all the numbers show it. To me, the biggest issue with Tatum right now and Brown, the games that they've won, and this is kind of a little subtle thing that you see, but the games that they've won, their distributing of the ball happens a beat earlier. So you'll see Tatum drive that, drive the lane, trying to get to the rim, and he'll kick out to somebody that's open. In the games that they've lost, that pass has come too late. He gets into that lane, gets bogged down, and and somebody's on him before he can. And then the outlet pass, he's not making the right play because now there are two guys in his face. Whereas games they've won, a step before that double comes, that ball's passed. He's making that quicker decision. So I think that's another part that Doka and them have got to, um, you know, they, they, they've got to figure out. And uh, so, and, and listen, Dre, we, we, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about Draymond Green. I mean, this, this guy, I, I've never seen a guy that does all his stupid antics to mask the fact that he's just not good anymore, that he doesn't contribute. I mean, he doesn't score. I think he had two points again last night, you know, he had a couple of uh, rebounds when it when he needed it at the end um, and played a pretty good in the last five minutes of that game. But all in all, he's been a non-factor. He's just not – he's not there. He doesn't do anything for them. So he figures, what are we going to do then? We'll – you know, I'm, I'm going to affect the game in a different way. I'm going to try to get in their heads. I'm going to do a lot of things that are, you know, just to push buttons and needle and get in guys' face and push them around and things like that. Um and he knows he can get away with it in certain games where the officiating is going to be in their favor. So in game two, he knew at home, I'm going to get calls. I'm not going to get kicked out of this game. You know, the NBA wants this thing evened up. They, they, they're going to give the calls to the teams that they think are going to even this series and push it to seven. So Green's not a moron. This is all strategic. So he's doing this, you know, all of these antics he's playing out when he knows he can get away with it. Now, last night, I'm sorry, game three in Boston, he knew he wasn't going to be able to get away with that stuff because everybody was on high alert to it. So you didn't see it as much. Expect it in game five. Expect it. Because when they go back to Golden State, they're going to get all the calls. So so as far as, uh, you know, we're going to move on uh, Heated Hotline next. But listen, um, who's going to win this series? I want to hear from you out there in Heated Hotline. Call us. Right in. Let us know who you think is going to win this series, and we can talk about it next week when we're we're at full capacity and we have everybody not just taking days off. You know what I mean? I'm sure I'm sure Mark's going to have a lot to say about that next week. But hey, I have the floor, so I can say whatever I want about these guys anytime. So uh, who's going to win? I mean, I think I hate to say it, um, but I think last night I told Mark that last night was the biggest game of their life in their young careers. Um, I really thought that it was. And the fact that they didn't pull that out, I think now is a problem for them. So I think the Celtics are going to lose. I think they're going to lose. And in fact, it's weird because I think they're going to win game five and I think they're going to lose game six and seven. I think, you know, Steph Curry is just going to be too much for them. I think they can win. I just don't know that they're going to win. And so to me, that's, that's the issue for me. I don't know how Mark feels about that. Um, I I'm in discussing it with him. I think he still feels like Boston can win the series and should look, they're a better team. 
they should win the series, but Curry is just is just taking it over. So listen, again, heated hotline. We want to hear uh from you on all of that. We want to make sure that uh we're getting your thoughts and your your uh your take in on, on who's gonna win this series. And let's hope next week we're talking about you know the Celtics celebrating in a uh a duck boat championship celebration, but we'll see. So when we come back. Uh, well, Weekly Rewind was presented by Special Sauce Podcast. What's your special sauce? SpecialSaucePodcast.com. When we come back, we're going to hear from one of you in the nation and Heated Hotline, and that's right after this. Back in with more Corso and Catone, the real deal, New England feel. And listen, the last several weeks, I got to tell you, or the last over the last month, the heated hotline, those calls have been great. They really have, and keep keep them coming. They're fantastic. And so, let's get to one, and let's do that right now. from Cranston. Yeah, I'm not sure I understand why the Bruins fired Cassidy. We need that fire that should fire. He's the one who keeps making all the crappy picks and so now and get a top five pick, which is useless because that moron Sweeney is making the pick. They need to get their head their asses in clean house, right guys? Well, Sonny from Cranston, we appreciate that call. Uh and I think what he was saying is uh Pastronach. Uh, talking about uh, trading Pasternak and uh, trying to get a top five pick. Listen, um, I, 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 don't, I can't, I don't think I can agree. I don't, can't agree with him more on this issue. Um, to me, he was a scapegoat, uh, scapegoat was, um, was Cass, uh, Cassidy in this state. So, so for those of you who don't know, the Bruins fired Cassidy over this past week um, and you know, they came out, Sweeney came out and tried, you know, justified it and talked about why, um, you know, they needed to fire him. They needed to get rid of him and so on that, that the message wasn't getting through anymore and that kind of thing. Um, and listen, I, I don't know if, um, I don't know if I buy any of that because when I, when I look at this situation and I see, okay, you have, you have Cassidy, he's a, he's a, he, the players seem to like him. I think the veterans like him. He didn't play enough rookies. That's the one thing I will say. Um, he's really not a huge, huge on the on the younger guys uh, as far as playing time and things like that. Um, but the veterans seem to like him. We know DeBrusque didn't. Um, he wasn't a fan of Cassidy, uh, and I think that was the two of them had it out, and they were they were like that. But um, and then you saw what management did with DeBrusque. And they gave DeBrusque a longer-term deal and re-signed him. And you started to wonder, well, you know, is that basically kicking Cassidy in the face, so to speak? And maybe it was their intention all that time, you know, to, to move on from Cassidy. I don't know that. But I can tell you that um, I, I think that the I, – I agree with the caller. You know, I think that the wrong guy is gone. Um, I think he's definitely a scapegoat for what, what's wrong with this team. And the big thing that's wrong with this team is they're drafting. I mean, 
he Sweeney has been just atrocious. He really, really has. He's been terrible. Um, and the irritating thing about it is Neely, you know, Neely and Sweeney, those teammates, you know, they played together and so on. And, you know, the Jacobs family who owns the team, I think the six kids have control of the team. We talked about that a couple of shows ago. And yeah, they don't, they're as absentee of owners as you can possibly get in in this league. And so you, you got Neely dealing, you got Neely running the show with Sweeney and, you know, they weren't going to be a casualty hit. Nobody, you know, they weren't going to fire him. Um, and so they weren't going to fire Sweeney and Neely's not going to fire himself. So somebody had to go and it was Cassidy. And now what's going to be the, the trickle? What's going to be the fallout from this? A player is just not going to be happy now. Uh, what type of coach are they going to get? in his, in his place um, that the players will listen to and what's going to be the makeup of the team. Because as the caller says, they're thinking about trading Pasternak for maybe a top five pick. And that's fantastic. That's great. I, you know, I don't like it because he's the best player in the team, but if you can get some sort of a deal in a package that gets you a good player back, a young, you know, winger or centerman, somebody like that, that's on your team, that's a good prospect and a top five pick. Yeah. Great. You know, the problem is Sweeney's making that pick. And again, I can't, I can't agree with the call of more. And I say, he sucks at it. He's terrible. Look at some Lazar, Fredrickson, guys that he's brought in that just don't produce. These are picks. These are top picks that they've made. Meanwhile, you see other players on other teams and other drafts that are just far better, far, you know, much more effective than what the Bruins are doing. And at some point they're going to have to figure out, Hey, Sweeney's just not good enough. He's not good enough. He's not good enough at selecting players. He's got tons of players in the Big East, BU, New Hampshire, in their backyard. And for some reason, they can't seem to evaluate these types of players and um, and bring in the right the right kind of talent. I know Mark feels the same way. And he talks about the defense too all the time. The fact that they're just not they're just not there. They're not good enough, you know. And, and they'll skate around that first round team you know, first round exit in the playoffs and they can do that forever. Uh, because honestly, it's not that tough anymore. It's not that tough to make the playoffs in hockey and you get bounced in the first round. So Sweeney's the one that should have gone in my opinion, or in my, or as the caller says at the end, clean house, you know, Neely goes, Sweeney goes, Cassidy goes, I would have had, I would have been better off with that happening than just Cassidy going. Because it's just, it, it just it just screams scapegoat. So now who do they bring in? I mean, there's a lot of guys that I heard Rick Bonus. I heard Rick Bonus being discussed. Are you kidding me? You want to bring that dinosaur out of mothballs and bring him back on the team? Holy crap. And that's a move that I could see Neely making. Holy shit. I'll lose my mind. Hey, look, go with Leach. Leach, you know, with the Providence Bruins, he's had great experience. Some college. Bring him in. At least it's a younger guy who's had some success at a minor league level that can get the job done for you. So we'll see, you know, we'll see what happens and uh, whether or not, you know, whether or not they can move forward with a better coach. And, and, but again, the drafting is going to be fine. And I'm again, real interested to see what's going to happen with the draft, with a new coach. And I want to see what happens with the player personnel. Because if they're gonna if they're gonna move Pasternak, then that's clear as a bell that they're that they're uh, breaking it down to try to build it up again. And I don't see Bergeron anywhere near this team. So 
We'll see what happens. And uh, so Heated Hotline was presented by Corso Law Group, Arizona's leading criminal and traffic law firm, CorsoLawGroup.com. Allow us to be your voice coming up. Why can't we call the place, Bill? That's real. And that's next. that time again for a timeout for a message from one of our sponsors. No one ever thinks they will be in the need of a criminal or traffic lawyer, but things happen. Corso Law Group is Arizona's leading criminal and traffic law firm. Their 20 plus years experience and attention to detail has helped thousands of people all across this great country who found themselves in a situation in Arizona. So whether it's a traffic ticket or if you need to reduce DUI or more serious issues, call or go online to CorsoLawGroup.com and talk with these expert attorneys who I know will help you. Corso Law Group. Hey, Bill, why can't we call the plays? If you're going to let Matt Patricia call the plays, why can't Mark and I call the plays? That's real. That's the real deal. And it's right now. What are you writing now? So I'm working over here. You're talking about nonsense. I'm that's why we are the real deal doing this deal. It's going to be real. So over the last couple of weeks, you had the Patriots in their OTAs, the optional uh, training uh, days, and then you had the mini- mandatory minicamp last week uh, for three days. And so some some things that you can take from that, and, and, and I know we're going to talk about this again next week when Mark is back, um, because – I know he's got quite a few players he wants to break down, including Thornton, you know, you know, he, with the receivers, I mean, nobody knows him better than Mark. And um, he wants to talk about some of that as well as some of the other players. And I want to get into some of the uh, secondary guys too, and the defensive backs, but they had their mini camp and we, you know, I want to go through some of the things that we, that we saw. And one of the things that everybody's hopping on and people are just freaked out nervous about is the fact that they feel that Patricia now is the, the things he's doing in practice, it's kind of it's kind of looking like he's going to be the play caller, which makes everybody just cringe like this. And so what do we think about that? And this is something in Heated Hotline I want to hear from you too. What do you think about the minicamp, what you saw, and who the play caller should be um, on this team? Because I think it should be the tight end coach. But again, so Matt Patricia is probably going to be the play caller. Joe Judge is going to stick staying with the um, the offense and, and and Mac Jones. I don't know how good that's going to be either. So, so what do we think about that? You know, what do we think about Matt Patricia calling these plays? Well, I'll tell you this. In in, in the way I I've been seeing this over the last several weeks to a month as to what I'm hearing in the local radio and all the, you know, we talk about the, the, the flagship station and those kinds of things. I think we need to pump the brakes just a little bit on all the criticism and all what's going to happen and so on and so forth. Listen, yes, we've said it a hundred times. We've said it all along. We we've been real critical of Belichick for taking the cheap way out with the coaching staff. Uh, for, because the Giants and the Lions are basically paying those two guys salary, Patricia, uh, Judge, and Patricia, and and so they don't. It doesn't cost them a lot. But I will say this: I've said this on this show. I've said it many many times. Those two guys, Judge and Patricia, look—they clearly understand football. You know, they 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 understand 
how to coach football or else, you know, they, they would never have been, they, they couldn't have gotten as far as they've gotten if they knew nothing. Okay. They weren't just coaches for Belichick. They were coaches for other teams coming up the, the, the ladder. And so, and look at when they were in New England before becoming head coaches. You know, the special teams was the best in the league. Always was. You know, Joe Judge was the coordinator. Now, we give Belichick usually all the credit for that, of course. But the guy's there. He is a coordinator. And then Matt Patricia, I did, I don't like his style. Mock hated his style. Couldn't stand that bend-don't-break system where they just let teams go up and down the field on them, on the defense. But when Patricia was the defensive coordinator, they always had a top-10 defense, and they were always top five in scoring. So he knows something. They understand coaching. What I've always said about these two guys is they're horrible. When I say horrible, freaking horrible managers of people. That's the problem. And when you're a head coach, you're a manager of people. And these guys just, they just can't do that flat out. Um, it's been shown. And the other issue is getting free agents because players don't like them. I mean, players in Detroit couldn't stand them. I, Matthew Stafford, I, yeah, he went to L.A. and he was successful. He'll say whatever he wants, but he couldn't stand Patricia. Um, and Jones, the quarterback over at the Giants, Judge pretty much ruined that kid. That kid's going to be in therapy for the rest of his life because of Joe Judge. So, but we take that, bring it over here and say, okay, they're going to lose all these games because Matt Patricia's calling the plays. I don't know. Have you ever really gone back and said they lost this game because of the assistant coach? I'm not, I'm not sure you ever can say that. So, you know, you always look to the head coach and, and honestly, he's still the best one in football, Belichick. He's, he's not a good personnel guy. We can see that, but he's, he's the best head coach in football. We know that. Um, and so, his focus has gone on the offensive side of the ball all through minicamp. That's what Belichick has done. He's been with the offense hundred percent. So to me, when you have the best coach in the building focused on something, that thing he's focused on should be better, right? I mean, the offense should be better if Belichick is focused on it. As far as game planning, the one thing I could tell you about game planning is this, and, and, and I've been involved at a much lower level of this sort of thing. It's everybody. It takes everybody in the room. All the coordinators are getting together. Everybody's talking about the quarterback, also meets with Belichick, and they talk about the game plan for that team, the team they're playing later later that, that week. And so it's a collaborative effort in putting in the game plan. You get nervous, you know, so I'm not worried about that if Belichick's got his hand in that. Where you start to get worried is game day. So you're calling the, it's 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 not just follow a script when you're calling a game for offense. You you know there are things that go on in this game that you have to adjust to um, quickly, quickly. You have to have your safe plays. You have to have things the quarterback is comfortable doing in order to make those adjustments within the game. And that's you know that's where we may end up running into an issue. Uh, game management, same kind of thing. And if Belichick is that ingrained in the offense during the game, he certainly can't call the plays because head coaches that call the plays, I, I tip the cat to him, Shanahan, uh, guys like that, Peyton, but you lose something in game management. You lose something in situational football, which is what the Patriots really preach. Situations. Put you in a situation, know what you can do. So when you deal with clock management, field management, fourth down management, um, things like that, 
you lose something if you call in the plays uh, and you can't. So that, depending on how, how ingrained Belichick is going to be during the game, that's where I get concerned. I get concerned in the play calling during the game. So we'll see. I mean, I want to pump the brakes a little bit. Yes, we've ripped these guys apart. We know they, they suck as managers of people. I get it. Awful, terrible. I don't want to, you know, to deal with that. I'd rather have Bill O'Brien on this team, which, by the way, in my opinion, Bill O'Brien, the offensive coordinator for Alabama, and is in his year two of his two-year contract, I believe, there. I think these are seat fillers for him. I think next season you're going to see Bill O'Brien come to New England, and this was basically just a filler for when that happened. So, again, um, in my opinion, let's see. Let's see if we're going to be sitting there saying they lost this game because of the assistant coach, because of the play calling. There's been a lot of times where that's been the case. Well, we've looked at, at, at McDaniels and said his play calling sucked today, and that's why they lost. So we may we may be seeing that. And, you know, some other takeaways, I know, as I said, Mark has a quite a few of them for minicamp, and, and, and I do too. I mean, some of the things I've looked at during this minicamp, Mac Jones, you know, Joe, Joe said on the show last week, he said, hey, am I going to be able to play a Mac Mania wash? He and his washes, he loves these washes, and I'm over here trying to control them today, figuring out what to press and what not to press. But, uh, yeah, yeah, we're going to be able to play Mac Mania washes because he's come in in shape. He's coming in shape. He looks better. His arm strength is better. You can see that as he goes down the field. Not only that, you watch him throw some of those outs, some of those deep outs, some of those back shoulder throws that require a lot of zip. And, um, you know, he's doing well. I I worry a little bit about the bulk. I want him to get a little, little stronger because, again, um, He's got to take a pounding. All quarterbacks take beatings all season long, and he's not going to be an exception. He did last year. He took a lot of hits. And with this offensive line being a little bit of a question, we'll see what happens there. So Mac Jones has looked good. What I like is they're, they're throwing a lot of deep balls in practice. And so people are starting to wonder, what's this offense going to look like? Is it changing? Are we changing up the type of offense that we're running? Is it not going to be what McDaniels likes so much? Is it going to be a more down-the-field passing game, which is why they went and got Thornton, the speed, the guy to take the top off the field from Baylor? Maybe. And he's looked great in practice, Thornton. I mean, he's blowing by defensive backs. And and Mac Jones is dropping that ball in real nicely. He did it with Parker a couple of times. Um and so there are things to look at there, and I know next week we're going to talk about that as well. And, and the other guy that's that's flashing, uh, and he did last um, training camp a year ago, is Trey Nixon, the wide receiver. Um, you know, pretty much a practice squad guy, he has been. But, man, he's looked great. He shows himself that a quarterback has good hands. He can, he He's running crisp routes, and, and Mac Jones just seems to have a little bit of rapport with him. Now, you know, temper it. They're in shorts and helmets. And when you're in shorts and helmets and everything's controlled, how much can you actually take from that? So, but we could also be sitting here saying they look crap in mini, like crap in mini camp. That would be even worse. So we're happy that they look good, but let's, you know, and I don't talk much on the defensive side of the ball because as I said last week, like Jack Jones has looked good. The rookie from ASU uh, corner, he's turning heads. But again, shorts, T-shirts, helmets. And for defensive backs on seven-on-sevens, things like that, it's tough. for the. It, 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 there's more you can gain from the offensive side where you can see improvements than you do 
the defensive side of the ball because without the pads on, without that fighting, without that jamming that you're able to do at the line, rerouting, walling off where you're taking receivers, you're walling them off to the linebackers. Without that full complement on defense, pass rush, it's disjointed. You know, the coverage works in unison with the linebackers and the defensive front. You know, the saying is always, if you're a defensive lineman, you have to know what the linebackers are doing. If you're a linebacker, you got to know what the, the defensive line is doing in secondary and, and the defensive backs. And when you're the defensive backs, you have to know what everybody's doing. And so when you're running these seven-on-seven seven drills, which is basically passing, you know, that that's what you definitely um, want to see when the pads go on. So I think you could take more from the offense than you can from the defense, but so far, so good. Some of the things that we may have a problem with and um, want to hear from you out there too, because I've been real critical of the tackles on this team. Isaiah Wynn, I mean, 21st pick in the draft, a guard out of Georgia, came from the right school, but a guard out of Georgia, 21st pick in the draft, and you put, tried him at left tackle. Now he's playing right tackle, which is, a to me, a demotion, and you spent so much to get him. He doesn't show up for the the optional training, and if they and, and and Brown is you know Brown has moved over to left tackle, and and he didn't show up for the for the optional workouts. If there were two guys on this team that need as much freaking practice as they can get, it's these two guys. It's these two guys. So again, let's see what happens with the offensive line, but. The one guy that's really showing is strange. The first pick in the draft that everybody, we did too, had a problem with where he was selected in the first round. We didn't have a problem with the player, but where he's picked, evidently he's looked fantastic, and he looks nasty. You always want that nasty streak, that piss, get pissed off, push people down, get in fights, knock people, punch them in the face, just like Mark does with his neighbor when he goes over there and pushes them down in the snow. That's what you want to get from your guard, that kind of nasty you know, we've had guards in the past that have been like that, you know, so Neil, Tooney, guys like that, that are just, they get nasty. And so he's shown that he's picking fights with guys on the other side of the ball. He even got in a, he even got in a pushing contest with one of his receivers. So, I mean, that's what you want to see. And it seems like he's picking up some of the offense um, pretty well. And, and, you know, Bill canceled the, uh, they were supposed to have mini camp coming up this following three more practices, but uh, Belichick canceled it. And that's not new. He did that last year, and there's been quite a few other teams this year that have done that. So, again, how much do you take from minicamp? Some, you know, can't wait till they get into July and get in the pads, and now we really see what some of these guys are made of. But, again, Trey Nixon, take a look. Make sure you're looking at these tackles and the offensive line to see what that's going to become and their depth. And when the pads go on, Let's take a look at the linebackers because they're the biggest question mark on the whole defensive side of the ball is the linebackers. And if Belichick is going to take part more in the offense, that leaves Mayo and the kid Belichick to take care of the defense and run the defense. To me, Mark's really concerned about the offense. I'm really, really, really concerned about the linebacking core. And I'm really, really concerned about can these two guys step up and actually you know, be the coordinators, be the main guys on off on defense, the way McDaniels was on offense. So all good things to look at, all good things to talk about. Um, Real Deal was presented by Studio 42 Designs. And listen, you know, we're going to get going now. 
wanted to get out there, wanted to talk to you. I know I'm flying solo, but there's so much to talk about. Wanted to get it out there to you. And again, give us a call right in. I want to know about your take on, especially on the Celtics. Tell me what you think about the Bruins too, with Cassidy and getting rid of him. And what the hell are the Patriots going to look like? And is it this big of a problem at this stage with the play calling? So thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening in. All of our shows are up for you to listen to and for you to watch uh, anytime you want. They're all up, ready to go. And make sure you uh, give us a call on that heated hotline and come back next week, 7 p.m. Eastern. Mark will be back. Joel will be back. Uh, and we'll be talking that Celtics Warrior series. Hopefully it's talking about a banner. Um, and maybe talking about a game seven. So we'll see what happens there. But uh, anything you bring to the table, call a heated hotline. We'll be ready for it because we are Corso and Catone, the real deal New England feel. See you next Saturday.